Uh, you saw from the sermon bumper video, and this is really important, is that we believe that we are in a sermon series that we're going to entitle called Verses We Live By. But it's not just verses that we live by in Matt's world or Trent's world. This is verses we live by in our community, our Renfrew Baptist Church community. So I want to encourage you that you need to contribute to the sermon series. Now, how, how will you contribute to the sermon series? Sermon series? It's really easy. What you need to do is send Pastor Trent or myself your favorite verse. And we'll talk to you about it. And then we're going to preach. We're going to preach our favorite verses. It's going to be a great mosaic of, of who we are at Renfrew. Now, if you want this sermon series to be really short, then just don't send in your sermon, your, your verses for us, and it'll last two weeks. Today, I'm going to share mine. Next week, Trent is going to share his. And we're going to progress on this journey. You know, I have a couple verses that are meaningful for me. I've already preached one of my favorite passages of Scripture, Zephaniah 3.17, when basically I had just started at Renfrew. But I also love Philemon 6, where it says, I pray that you may be active in the sharing of your faith so that you may have a full understanding of every good thing we have in Christ. It's a favorite verse of mine. But the verse that I want to share today is really my ultimate favorite passage of Scripture. And the reason it is, is because I want to live my life like that. That's what my mission needs to be. If you have your Bibles, I want you to turn to, to Luke chapter 4. In Luke chapter 4, Jesus is referencing, he's reading from Isaiah 61. And Isaiah 61 is this prophecy of, of who Jesus, who the Christ child is going to be. Now as we read this story from Luke chapter 4, you'll see it on your screen. We're going to pick it up in verse 14. It's really important that you throw yourself into the story. That you kind of are a bystander. That you kind of are sitting there watching what's happening so you can catch the the gravity, and also what Jesus is saying. My favorite verse is going to be found in the middle. But let's get some context here. Jesus returns to Galilee in the power of the Spirit, and news spread uh, among, about him throughout the, uh, throughout the whole countryside. It's a great image. He was teaching in their synagogues. And everyone praised him. And then verse 16 says, He went to Nazareth, where he had been brought up. And on the Sabbath day, he went into the synagogue. I love this little tagline, as was his custom. He stood up to read. And the scroll of the prophet Isaiah was handed to him. Unrolling it. You can see him unrolling it. He found the place where it was written. The Spirit of the Lord is on me because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoners and recovery of sight for the blind, to set the oppressed free, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. 
Then he rolled up the scroll. He gave it back to the attendant. He sat down. The eyes of everyone in that synagogue were fastened on him. He began by saying to them, Today, this day, Scripture is fulfilled in your hearing. I love verse 22, a transition. All spoke well of him and were amazed at the gracious words that came from his lips. Isn't that Joseph's kid? They asked. So we have the story. My favorite verse is found in that 18 and 19 segment. This passage is calling us to something that is both spiritual and practical. We can't just operate spiritually in this world. We also are called to meet practical needs. When Jesus read from the book of Isaiah, and he read that prophecy that was all about himself, the religious leaders, the Pharisees at that time, had created or found 613 commandments in which they were called to follow. So the people who heard his words were struggling under the heavy burden of what was told to them that true religion and holiness looked like. No wonder when Jesus started to speak, they used the words gracious. In Galatians 5.1, Paul wrote this, It is for freedom that Christ has set us free. Stand firm and do not let yourself be, be burdened again by a yoke of slavery. As Jesus continued to speak to them and what their, their needs were and why Jesus could meet those needs, suddenly their, their marvel turned to wrath. How dare he give a word of correction to us? We know him. He grew up here. This is Joseph's kid. Jesus caught these guys off guard because quite possibly there were boys in the town who were much better candidates to be Messiah than Jesus was. He was just Joseph's kid. All of the scriptures of the Old Testament must be fulfilled in the Messiah. Jesus says this in Luke chapter 24, verse 44, Everything must be fulfilled about me that is written about me in the law of Moses, the prophets, and the Psalms. Luke records that, that Jesus stands to read, and that was a custom in, in honor of God's word. They would stand to read God's word, and then when they would give an explanation of what was read, they would they would sit down to show reverence. So Jesus starts off saying this, The Spirit of the Lord is on me because he's anointed me. He's tying back to that Isaiah's original prophecy that was declared hundreds of years before Christ. And he seems to be applying it to himself. When Jesus read the ancient Hebrew words, his utterance of the word mashok, anointed, must have caused 
great awe and astonishment in that place. Meshach is the root word for Messiah. When Jesus in verse 21 finally declares, Today, Scripture is fulfilled in your hearing. There must have been a moment of shock and awe in the group that was gathered there. And Jesus starts to talk about that. To preach good news. To preach the gospel to the poor. Jesus is tying it back to the poor in spirit. He's showing us the difference between the humble and the proud. If you remember the Sermon on the Mount... In verse 3 of Matthew chapter 5, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. A humble person is more apt to listen to God's word as the proud would be. So, how would you describe yourself? Proud? Humble? Poor in, in this context is anyone who doesn't know the riches that are found in Christ. We're called to bring dignity to those who don't have dignity for themselves. Isaiah had prophesied that this was what Jesus would be doing. Jesus was sent to, to heal the brokenhearted. Just as God stated in Psalm 147. He heals the brokenhearted. He binds up. He heals their wounds. People that are brokenhearted, the poor, the bankrupt, by their sin are truly humbled in repentance and they find healing when we accept and believe and confess Jesus as our Lord and Savior. You and I are called to minister to the brokenhearted Point them to Jesus for healing. We need to proclaim freedom for the prisoners. In Acts chapter 10 verse 38, we read how God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit and with power. And how he went about doing good and healing to all those who were under the power. Or another translation says, who are captive of the devil. Jesus came to set people free. The freedom that Jesus is talking about is the moving away from the, the, of being in prison with bad habits, with physical addictions, with lust for money or the ways of the world. The prison that Christ came to open is a spiritual prison, a blinding of the mind. We know this verse, John 8 says, so if the Son makes you free... You'll be free indeed. And free from the bondage of sin translates to you and I becoming a royal priesthood. A people for God's own possession so that we may proclaim to the world the excellence of who he is. Because he's called us out of darkness into the marvelous light. And recovery of sight to the blind. Jesus did miracles. This is the physical piece. Jesus did miracles and healed many blind people. He even opened the eyes of one blind from birth. And so Jesus is speaking about spiritual blindness and physical blindness. How are you bringing healing to this world? 
But Jesus also meant that the Pharisees who could see had become blind to the truths of his teaching because they were proud. But Jesus continued in that Luke chapter 4, that Isaiah 61, proclaiming, I've come to set the oppressed free. Many people in Jesus' time were oppressed. They took advantage of the widows and the orphans. They were oppressed by taxation. Things had not changed in nearly 2,000 years. And Jesus came and proclaimed, I'll set you free, and you'll be free indeed. Isaiah's prophecy in Isaiah 61 is exactly what Jesus came to do. I'm going to set people free. I'm going to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. Isaiah was declaring the coming of the, of the Messiah at the end of the age to usher in a period where you and I would be free, where we would be whole. Righteousness will always triumph over oppression. And the unrighteous will always suffer. The year of the Lord's favor involved a year of release from all debts. If you want to do a fun study, go to Leviticus 25. Not only did the year of the Lord's favor, Jubilee, show us that our debts were released, it also removed any bondage. Prisoners and captives were set free. Slaves were released. Debts were forgiven. Property was returned to its original owners. In addition, all labor, all work stopped for one year. Those who were under contract were released from the contract. One of the benefits of Jubilee was that the land and the people were able to rest. But the Jubilee, the year of the Lord's favor that we see in Luke chapter 4, gives us this beautiful picture that we see in the New Testament of redemption and forgiveness. Christ is the Redeemer who came to set free those slaves and prisoners to sin. We know this from Romans. Therefore, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Because through Christ, the law of the Spirit, who gives life, has set you free from the law of sin and death. The debt of sin we owe to God was paid on the cross as Jesus died on our behalf. It says this in Colossians chapter 2, When you were dead in your transgressions and the uncircumcision of your flesh, he made you alive together with him, having forgiven all our transgressions, having canceled out the sacrifice of debt, consisting of decrees, laws, rules against us, which was hostile to us. And he has taken it away, having nailed it to the cross. And we're forgiven. We're forgiven of that debt forever. We're no longer in bondage. We're no longer slaves to sin. We've been freed by Christ. We can truly enter the rest God provides. The year of the Lord's favor is the year when we're restored and set free. It's the year when we accept Jesus as our Messiah, 
and acknowledge the need for a Savior and the acceptance to, that we're going to serve Him, praise Him, worship Him, honor Him, seek Him, and obey Him for the rest of our life. 2 Corinthians 6 verse 2 says, In my time of favor I heard you, and in the day of salvation I helped you. I tell you, now is the time of God's favor. Now is the day of salvation. Jesus has anointed us to be his ambassador, indwelled by the Spirit to bring about the message of good news as we fulfill that great commandment in Matthew 28. The gospel, the good news, is preached to the poor. The blind are seen. The captives are set free. Guess what? You have people all around you, even in this pandemic, who need the same mission as Jesus had. Do you remember how Jesus dealt with the woman at the well without ever really directly dealing with the issue of her living with a man who was not her husband? If I was Jesus... I would have made sure she understood the importance of getting out of that relationship, of making things right. But in recording the story, the Holy Spirit seems to say to any who question this, that's none of your business. You don't need to know whether Jesus dealt directly with that issue or not. Could this be because, knowing that this woman had five husbands, and was living with a man to whom she was not married, she would have obviously been branded as an immoral woman whose only option to survive financially was through prostitution. Could it be that Jesus was saying, what the religious are concerned about, I'm not concerned about at all. And what the religious aren't concerned about, namely love, that concerns me the most. I am anointed to preach the gospel to the poor, to heal the brokenhearted, to preach deliverance, freedom to the captives, to give sight to the blind, to set at liberty those who are bruised. Jesus said in his most significant mission statement ever conceived, and he fulfilled it perfectly and completely. So church, how close is your mission statement to Jesus? How much does your life look like Jesus? Jesus blows apart every idea that I have about spirituality and ministry. And in doing so, he sets us free from the burdens and the baggage of grumpiness, condemnation, of a system where we're never good enough, a system that was built on fear and intimidation. Why don't you this week revisit Jesus, this laid-back lover of people whose intensity was private and personal, who didn't put pressure on people. Reacquaint yourself with the friend of sinners, the man who spoke gracious words continually, who healed unconditionally, who loved sacrificially, 
For although he is unrecognized by most religious people, he also defines true holiness. The Spirit of the Lord is on me, because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoners and recovery of sight to the blind, to set the oppressed free, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. Let me pray. God, as we walk into communion, may we be reminded of that huge gift that we got on the cross. May our mission statement for our own life reflect that. May we be people who promote freedom. May we be people who take off the shackles. May we be people who open prison doors. And may we be people who proclaim with loud voices, this is the year of the Lord's favor. We love you. We ask all this in your name. Amen.